Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected. Good afternoon, Team Crew Life community. And on behalf of Marine Corps University, the Marine Corps University Foundation, and the Brew Crew Life Center for Innovation and Future Warfare, welcome back to the Brewcast, our series designed to connect the worlds of the warfighter and PME with the best in innovative and creative thought. I'm your host, Major Ian Brown, Operations Officer at the Crew Life Center. All right, so we are, uh, we're pleased and uh, we appreciate as well the, the patience and flexibility of the people we have in the room here to uh, welcome back the uh, members of the Talent Management Strategy Group uh, who, uh, who have the task of executing uh, the Talent Management, or excuse me, Talent Management 2030, which is the, the, the human resource or the human capital aspect of the larger force design 2030 uh, Marine institution-wide update for the future, essentially. Uh, if you've been following us for a while, you're familiar with some of the different components of Force Design 2030. And we also had the Talent Management Group, or excuse me, Talent Management Strategy Group on, I think it was back in September, September, October timeframe, with uh, kind of the initial look at what Talent Management 2030 was trying to do, uh, some things that were in the works, and, uh, and taking some questions from the audience about things uh, that we're going to, you know, things to look ahead for. So we're pleased to welcome in the back so we can find out what, you know, exactly what has gone on in those intervening months where Talent Management 2030 stands, and again, give the audience a chance to engage and ask questions about where uh, where it is today and where it's going. So in the room with us today, uh, we're pleased to welcome, uh, again, members of the Talent Management Strategy Group, starting with Colonel Eric Reed, who is the director. We have Ms. Carrie Mengelcook, who is deputy director. On the line, uh, we have Master Gunnery Sergeant Sage Goida, who is the senior enlisted advisor. And then we also have Gunnery Sergeant Nick Knoll, who is Enlisted Integration Specialist. And also uh, want to make sure we give a shout out to Major Sharon Sisbaro, who's uh, one of the communication strategy Marines over there and been our point of contact and has been uh, great and flexible again in helping us uh, reschedule this one after we had to uh, rapidly postpone the last one. Um, so again, welcome back to the broadcast to everybody here or, or welcome uh, if it's your first time. And Colonel Reeser, I'll uh, just let you kick it off and turn it over to you for your uh, initial comments and setting the scene here. Oh, thanks, Ian. Thanks for having us. Uh, I think let me let me start off by, um, by by laying a foundation to kind of baseline the discussion that we'll go forward. Lance, you mentioned it's been the better part of a year since the, the talent management strategy group was here uh, on the broadcast. We want to provide an update today. We also want to hear ideas from from the force. Uh, and, and we're looking to learn because the best ideas we've been able to execute so far have, have actually come from the from the from our formation. So uh, I think it's also important if we get a chance to clear up any misconceptions that people have. So I'm looking forward to Q and A, and, and maybe we can illuminate some of those misconceptions that sometimes creep into talent management conversations as we start to try to make sure that we're we're, we're understanding what's being asked and that people are understanding what we're saying. Let me let me lay the base uh, baseline here with with really three things. First. To make it clear that we recognize that talent management didn't start with the publication of talent management 2030 as a document it didn't start with this group or the other people who have been working on this under uh, the last half of the general burgers uh, commandant tenure a lot of the things that we have been able to implement so far were started or suggested by professionals trying to make improvements at mnra or cdni or tcon or micric or from the fleet long ago there are perennial ideas that come around and get debated. I think what's changed in the last 18 months is from the top, the senior leadership of the Marine Corps <laughs> has realized that to get where we want to go with forces on it, to get where we think we need to go in the battlefields we're going to be successful on in the mid-21st century, we're going to have to 
change our paradigm and we're going to have to start retaining and investing in a more deliberate way in the force that we have in our ranks. Um, and so that, that targeted force maturation, that more deliberate investment and retention and, and the application of talent to our warfighting requirements, uh, with leadership making the decision to go that direction, we're able to unlock and get over the hump, if you will, and some of the initiatives that maybe weren't successful previously, but made a lot of sense in the past, right? So what we've been enabled to do is to free up some of that uh, some of that effort and initiative to then go forward and apply some good ideas uh, and reform the system. Number two, I want to define what we mean by talent at the, at the beginning of this conversation. Right? Um, militarily relevant talent consists of three components. The first is innate aptitude. So some would call this God-given ability, right? What, what you're just naturally good at doing. The second component, um, uniquely acquired skill sets that each one of us brings into the Marine Corps. And whether that's a family member taught us something, life experiences taught us the various things based on where we grew up and what our experiences were before coming to the Marine Corps. And then things we've learned formally through training, education, and then once we're in the Marine Corps, through training and education in our own MOSs. All of those things, those two first components, you know, what I'm good at, what I've been trained to do and educated to do by my experiences or schooling. And then a third component of talent, I think uh, probably the most the most meaningful in application is what, what are you passionate about? What is it that you want to be doing? And, and then we want a system that as much as possible aligns those aspects of the talent to the warfighting requirements of the Marine Corps. So the people are doing something they're naturally talented at doing, that they've been trained and educated to do, that they want to be doing, that is something we need done as a Marine Corps so that we can succeed on future battlefields. So that's what we mean when we're talking about talent. We seek a system, we seek a system that better than we have in the past, more deliberately than we have in the past, measures those things about our people and applies them to the needs we have to be successful in the battlefield. And third and finally, uh, as, a, as far as a baseline for this conversation, let me lay out kind of five principles that are guiding what we're trying to do within the talent management strategy group. And as we work with the other HRDP stakeholders with MNRA, CDNI, training and education, and MICRI. Principle number one, is, is never losing sight of the fact that it is all about combat preparedness and performance on the battlefield for the Marine Corps. We need to be more ready as a Marine Corps to answer the nation's call in a more challenging environment that we believe we see in the future and that is being validated by McWill as they do experimentation. No change to our ethos or to our expeditionary naval character. Those things remain constant. We're trying to be more successful in this century that we're in. Principle number two is kind of the big idea Will a reform that we're, we're considering, will a suggestion from the fleet or an initiative that we're proposing or an obstacle to something that we're removing or an order that we're rewriting to make something new possible, will that thing, that change, uh, maximize the number of trained, qualified, increasingly experienced, and deployable Marines in our formations? Thus, going back to principle one, making us more ready to answer the nation's call. If it won't, then we go back to the drawing board and refine it. Um, number three, we want to minimize the disruptions, uh, the instances of disruption along the path of a Marine Corps career that insert uncertainty around the thinner table for the Marine family. When those things are necessary because of a career development set of orders to go and, and progress or because you need, Marines are still going to do hard things and we're still going to PCS when that's required. When those 
moments of uncertainty or periods of uncertainty are there, re-enlistment, waiting for orders, deciding which assignment to take, waiting for the history results to come back, right? All of those things. We want to minimize the duration of that uncertainty around the Marines dinner table with their family to the minimum possible by improving our information and our transparency. Uh, principle number four, we want to do our best to avoid situations where we present a proven, dedicated, capable career Marine with, uh, with an unnecessary dilemma or an ultimatum to choose between a viable, upwardly mobile career in the Marine Corps and a family situation, major life event or major life goal. And so we don't want to we don't want to be in a position of giving a Marine an ultimatum where they feel like they have to choose between staying in the Marine Corps they love or doing something that their family needs them to do or something that's really super important to them. Uh, when at all possible, we want to we want to harmonize those things. And finally, fifth and finally, principles wise, we want to listen to Marines, commanders uh, that are out there in their family. Right. So some of the best ideas that have improved the system the most have come from Lance Corporals, Lieutenants, Sergeants, Staff Sergeants that are out there in the fleet experiencing life and they're asking interesting questions about like, hey, why do we do this? When do we start doing this? Why do we still do this? And those are able to allow us to unlock. So I'll stop there, but that's just to baseline the conversation. That's where we're coming from as we try to uh, get 20 T, uh, excuse me, TM2030 implemented across the Marine Corps as best we can. All right, great. Thank you very much, sir. And into the audience, you know, I think uh, that's a good baseline, but also some of those principles, if you have, you know, or, or questions about certain uh, programs or approaches that might tie into those, uh, again, throw it in the chat and we'll ask those questions as we get there. Um, okay, so before, um, I want to move on to a couple other things, but when, uh, before that, when we last had the talent management strategy group here, there were there was discussion about upcoming events that uh, were going to be held or executed that, you know, they were, they were, previewed, but it didn't happen. So um, if you have a couple minutes or, or for the other uh, people on the panel here, um, though, any any of those events you'd like to, uh, excuse me, specifically highlight and uh, any of the outputs of those events that are worth potentially noting here. Yeah, let me do this. I'm gonna give an overview and then I'll kick it over and, and people can describe in more detail uh, events specifically, but to kind of what's happened since the group was here with you. I think first off, Ms. Cook and I joined the team uh, in July of last year, so a little, a little less than a year ago, um, there were several promising initiatives that were, were bubbling and that people were very excited about and that, that, that had been generated and that we were trying to get into implementation. We were evaluating those to make sure that, that they were shovel ready, if you will, right? People's careers are affected here, so we want to make sure that we're moving aggressively, but also making sure we do no harm. So as an aviator might say, no fast hands in the cockpit, but, but we're aggressively moving out, right? Uh, with those that those ideas under consideration, it kind of started becoming evident that the TMX initiatives and MRAs initiatives to try to do the same things for talent management were they were redundant or we were firing on the same target. And, and General Smith as the ACMAC as a talent management officer in the Marine Corps was way ahead of us on this. And he pulled Ms. Mangelkirk and I up to the up to the Pentagon and he gave us some updated guidance, right? To basically refocus the talent management strategy group's efforts. Uh, and that guidance was uh, as followed. MNRA under newly arrived Lieutenant General Glenn uh, was to focus on implementation of initiatives that had been tested, evaluated, and a decision had been made to put them in the stream of implementation that MNRA is already responsible for. So he's accountable, he has the budget, he has the resources, and he has the authority over procedures and policies on our human resource development program as the owner 
And so we shove good ideas down, MNRA then puts them in with all the other things that we're doing and implements those. That, that then gave us the mandate to focus up, out, and more strategically. And so General Smith told us, hey, I want you looking in the 2040s and 2050s. What are the demographic trends? What's the demographic future of the American society that we're drawing our recruits from uh, and that we're, we're getting talent from? How will technology affect the workforce of the future? How will technology affect educational attainment as well as education of the force once the force is in? So we're very excited about what we're seeing just as a, as a comment in passing from T from training at ed Education 2030. We think that's nested perfectly with where we're trying to go with talent management. How will the future skills of the battlefield, you know, skills required on the battlefield change, et cetera, et cetera. And so we were tasked with working increasingly with academia, with think tanks, with uh, industry, other services, OSD, the joint staff, FFRDCs like uh, like CNA and, 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 uh, and RAND. And so we've been doing a lot of that. Uh, I'll hit the highlights and I'll ask Ms. Mingle to start capitalizing on the first one or explaining the, the first one of these I'll mention. In January, capitalizing on the 50th anniversary of the all-volunteer, all-recruited force, on behalf of the Commandant, we organized and hosted a symposium that brought in all six military services, so I'm including Space Force and the Coast Guard in that, OSD, members of the National Security Council from the White House, the Joint Staff, all of the big uh, federal research organizations and several think tanks and some members of the media and congressional staff to talk for a day on exactly those things I mentioned. Where is this thing heading? What will we be required to do on future battlefields, et cetera, et cetera? How will the demography of, of the force that we're drawing from America change? And what should we do about those things? In February, we hold, we hold at the Pentagon Again, all six services and OSD, um, a talent management summit to talk about shared best practices, concerns, concerns about compensation and incentives, et cetera, et cetera. In March, the Commandant signed the talent management update uh, and the talent management website, webpage on the Marine Corps webpage went live. So on the Marine Corps homepage under initiatives, talent management 23, we're updating that thing and maybe we can talk about that a little bit later, but we're, our aim is to make that an authoritative, authoritative one-stop shopping for the force, for Marines, their commanders, civilians, as they want to look at what we're doing. Uh, and then finally, last thing I'll say is uh, in two weeks, we're hosting, a, a, again, on behalf of the Commandant, we're hosting all the services plus congressional staffers, uh, members of OSD that deal with accession policy and, and personnel and readiness, uh, a blended retirement system symposium to look at what are the opportunities within BRS, which is an increasingly large share of our force is under the BRS retirement system? What are the implications potentially in the future of BRS and retention? And basically getting all services talking and synthesizing that. With that, let me stop. If there's any of those you want to hear more about, we can talk about. Sure, I know we're gonna look at some of those here um, in, uh, in future session, but for um, anyone else in the room here or uh, Master Gunnery Sergeant Boyda, anything to add on top of that? Well, I would just uh, add on to what uh, Colonel Reed had said. Uh, so the ACMAC has us looking uh, to make sure that as we've done all this work in the Marine Corps from a force design perspective, to really look out forward, look, leaning and looking into what the environment's going to be for us operationally. We're, we're trying to do the same to make sure that we're looking at what the people environment is going to be. Uh, and so that as we have you know, force design, we have the ability to shape how we're going to design the forces, the people that will be in those formations and the types of uh, environment from which we'll be recruiting future Marines 
uh, the types of things that may be important to them as they uh, maybe are attracted to serve with us and retain them within our ranks. Uh, perhaps as we talk about the demographics and things like that to understand, you know, policies today may need to be very different if the people environment tomorrow is very different. So us just uh, looking at policy today, making adjustments for things that we want to correct for maybe past lessons learned are interesting, but that's not going to help us if it's not relevant to 2030 and 2040 and beyond. So we're doing those kind of things. And I think it's a demonstration uh, of the point that Colonel Reed said about the um, Marine Corps not being afraid to get out there and tap into the expertise that's out there and bring them together, start informing the Marine Corps so that we can make really good decisions and investments and strategies and uh, develop the talents and the skills that we're going to need in, in the future and to look across the ways uh, uh, perspectives of how we might best attract, retain, and develop our force and employ them. Uh, as well as make good use of the talent that's in front of us because many times we find that we have talent hidden in plain sight uh, and by having access to better viewpoints of what's out there and how we might use some tools that we'll talk about today to better leverage their talents we can make better uh, have better access and better utilization of our total force uh master guns anything you'd like to add yes sir one i just want to say uh thanks for having us back and also, I'd like to thank all the listeners for their ideas and suggestions that help fuel these talent management initiatives. And again, just a reminder, if you want to send more initiatives, more ideas, suggestions, send them to tmx at usmc.mil. Great, thank you. And as we did for the, the first episode, we'll have that email in the show notes when we have we'll it again. Yeah, we'll yeah. be having that message when you do. Yeah, so you, if, you know, to the audience, you got things to say, you will have a avenue to say it on. Okay, so I think uh, I want to hit a little bit more on the all-volunteer force symposium. Because as you mentioned, sir, so 50th anniversary of the all-volunteer force, ideally something to celebrate, right? It's 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 not common in, in national militaries where everybody who's there is there because they want to be, because they signed up. Um, but also, you know, realize we're facing some, like we, the services are facing some really challenging headwinds in terms of, you know, meeting the numbers for that all-volunteer force. Um, so maybe if you could highlight some of the, the issues that were discussed in there, um, uh, issues that were identified as things that need to be, you know, really actively sort of grappled with to make sure we can keep having an all-volunteer force. Yeah, you want to start with that one and I'll, I'll finish up or you want me to? Get okay. started on that what, what, what I'd say is, um, you know, one, we, we wanted to host this. We asked, we asked for permission to do it really because we felt after doing a considerable amount of research that two, two things. One, this is the most difficult recruiting and re recruiting environment that the all volunteer forces face since we started doing it on June uh, 1st of, of uh, 1973. Um, we've never faced a year as challenging as this across all the services. We wanted to expand the conversation, elevate it and expand it across all services and get some civilian perspective in there. So what does the Marine Corps talking to itself? Wanking about how hard recruiting is, right? We wanted to be able to look at, at longer term and, and issues. So we, we invited uh, the best experts we could find from uh, from academia and from, like I said, think tanks and research institutions to bring them into a room and confront them with the ideas, uh, outputs. What, what we confirmed in there, uh, one, battlefields, uh, according to the experts, will be more demanding. In cons it's consistent with force design findings and the whole rationale behind the force design initiative and effort program. Uh, the character of war is changing in the opinion of those experts and they, and they, they backed it up with some pretty compelling facts in the 21st century 
the pace and complexity of the future battlefield, added domains. We're going to need more out of the Marine of 2040 than we needed out of the Marine in 1973. And, and that's going to drive us to more retention and more investment and more return on that investment so that we have the skill sets we need. Those skill sets are going to be more diverse and more specialized within our formations, what's going to take longer, longer for us to train them relative to yesterday. Uh, number two, across American society, right? Um, we had Pew was in there looking at the future demographics of, of the United States, you know, um, force that we'll be recruiting from a decade, two decades, three decades from now. Pretty compelling data there that militarily relevant talent in, in the ages that we normally get our folks from, 17 to 24, uh, in the educational attainment bands that we normally get our folks from is going to become more scarce. It's already and it's going to stay more scarce for longer and is actually shrinking as a percentage of society in, in aggregate terms, mm -hmm. right? So uh, a smaller pond for all of us to fish in to get more talent than we normally need. Um, that's going to drive us again to a more crucial retention and investment uh, paradigm than we've had in the past. So it confirmed all of those things that we already kind of thought and gave us a lot more data in detail. Uh, I would I would highlight two more and then pass it off. Uh, a couple of things that really stood out in the data demographic you're looking forward is educational attainment, educational achievement. Uh, there's a significant current and future projected divergence between men and women, where females entering the workforce are having higher educational performance and attainment. Uh, than males entering the workforce, and that's manifesting itself in some cases in quality. And who's allowed to re-enlist and who's allowed to re-enlist, excuse me, as MEPS under our current insurance standards looking in the future. And then the demographic balance of, of ethnicity in future America, right? An exploding Hispanic population, a very uh, significantly growing African-American population, and a shrinking percentage of the force, of the, of the whole rather, rather recruiting potential base uh, of, of Caucasian. Right. And so we demographically are not as representative in those areas that are growing the fastest right now. Obviously, we're bringing in more and what we're seeing in our most recent recruiting classes is commensurate with it's consistent with representative of society. But upper in our upper bands, we're going to have to make sure we retain that talent to make sure we keep bringing it. And so those are kind of big takeaways for me. Let me kick it over to Michael. Thank you. Well, I think uh, perfectly guessed with we have to recruit future Marines from future America. And so how do we look? at what we think future America looks like um, and the things that would be important to future Americans. Um, you know, in 50 years ago, ABF came together. It, there was no such thing as a factoring of uh, dual household income uh, households. So in the future, that trend is not seeming to go away. We need to think about policies that enable stability for Marines, less uh, uh, uncertainty, as, as we said, around the kitchen table about policies and where the next moves are by making sure that if, if and when we can, we can build stability into processes and allow Marines opportunities to have options uh, to, to weigh in on what kind of their future career decisions and, and forecast may be. Um, we also recognize, by, you know, the experts talked to us about how um, now more than ever, uh, we do need that dialogue, that national call to service and, and how the, when you look at the generations that are coming up, there there's a uh, large feeling of community, but perhaps we need to do a better job of explaining how we, the military, are also part of the community uh, and a call to serve is something that at the end of the day, yes, everyone needs to be compensated fairly and appropriately and have good benefits and whatnot, but we also need people that want to serve. And so how do we look at that and make sure that we're appealing 
not to our former selves from 50 years ago, but what are the things that we will use to appeal uh, the youth of future America to come and then stay among our ranks and then and serve and do the hard things when the hard days call for it. Um, so I think that's important. And then um, just recognizing that um, uh, the, the mix of military skills, uh, as Colonel Reed mentioned, it's going to be vast. But we're also going to have a diverse mix of you're still we're still going to need people uh, to do the industrial age stuff. If somebody's got to be able to drive and fix the truck, and then somebody may be working on AI. And so how do we have these really deep pools of skills within in our Marines, and how do we invest in them and get them the uh, the route to get there to be able to manage both the technical or right, very close in fighting type things, so the Marine Force war fighting skills and those kind of things, as well as the high end nuanced, technologically advanced things that sound very uh, spacey and, and whatnot now, but uh, the future Marine will have to be able to do both. Yeah, the other thing that I wanted to add that um, I had to take away coming out of the um, symposium was when we're looking at the the eligible population across the nation, um, taking a hard look at what our entrance requirements are as far as medical requirements and other things that in current state are instant disqualifiers because they've been instant disqualifiers for the last 50 years and really reevaluating are those still the same standards that we should apply now that may be artificially reducing the eligible population that we can recruit from and can we loosen that up so that we broaden the pool for people that would be otherwise qualified so that was something I want to make sure that we got his point I think that, that that was a huge one and that was kind of the reason we wanted to have the folks from OSD right the folks from Congress the folks from the White House there that's not a decision we can make as a Marine Corps but the fact is we have to look at the we have to look at entrance qualifications and entrance standards and what makes sense today and case in point Doctors have prescribed a whole lot more ADHD medicine mm -hmm. in the past 20 years than they were when we set some of these standards. And we have to figure out how to, to, to Ms. Mangleton's point. We have to get future Marines. The other services have to get future sailors, you know, airmen, coast guardsmen, soldiers from future America. That is a shrinking qualified military pool. And it's getting harder. And the people that we want have to be smarter than they had to be, had to be more capable right and have to have the same physical capabilities so it kind of drives us more toward that once we've got it once somebody has earned the title to be a marine we need to keep more of those folks around for longer and continue to let them keep uh contributing to the, the marine corps because the the cost benefit the business case for high junior annual turnover the fundamental dynamics of that case have changed we're increasingly convinced of that all right thanks sir and uh master guns anything you want to throw in there Yes, sir. The only thing I would add is, as we engage with our uh, board partners, you know, a lot of these issues with recruitment and retention are not exclusive to the United States. Some of these issues are global, and I think as we move forward and have future engagements, um, hopefully we can pull out some solutions to help move forward. That's a, that's a, that's a great point. We've, we've been talking to the Dutch, the, the Brits, some other nations, and they're, they're, they're experiencing a not dissimilar trend mm -hmm. in other places. It's a great point. All right. Yeah, great. And Master Guns, actually, uh, I'm going to I'm going to tie that last one in here to a uh, a question from the audience, which kind of feeds into the next thing we were going to get here, which was uh, more generally updates to talent management. And uh, the question I'm going to pull in here from Albert Lee is he was asking if there have been any changes in how talent management intends to train Marines specialized in operating systems we expect to use more in the future, 
similar similar to the, for example, specialized drone teams attached to Ukrainian units that we've been seeing employed in real time. Um, but whether or not that is a thing, what are some of the other the, the broader updates to talent management 2030 that have uh, occurred and been published since we last spoke here? Let me, let me, do one, let me address the question specifically, and I'm going to kick it over to Gennady to, to kind of start laying those out for you and start a couple of salient examples, and kind of we'll also talk about what's coming sure. next. Um, that question uh, is, is really more one for CDNI and TCOM training and education as far as the training of those skill sets we're going to need. We know that we are adding more of the specialist robotics type, cyber, SI, you know, uh, SIGIN, and EW teams through our formations. Their training is very rich technically, and uh, and we are you know, we're making sure we get an adequate return on investment for that. But the, the delivery of that training and coming up with novel and better ways to deliver that training is really, I think, the crux of uh, training and education 2030's document and where they're trying to go. We fully support it. Okay, you want to lay out a couple of uh, salient highlights of what we've done so far, and then I'll we'll, we'll kind of open it up to the team. Yes, sir. Um, so the, the talent management update, um, published a couple months back with an accompanying website, lists all of the initiatives that we have with the, the progress to date. Um, there, were, there were nine talent management wins that we published shortly after publication. There's been a, a couple more uh, that, that have come out uh, pretty rapidly. Um, so the, a couple I want to highlight, um, one of which the, the SULI program, uh, the, a key takeaway from the SULI program, which allows Corporals that have executed a FTAP reenlistment. Can you give the just for the audience? Yes, small, small, unit small unit leader initiative program. Uh, what it does is it it, uh, it it incentivizes high performing corporals who execute a reenlistment that they now become eligible for sergeant. They have the time and service waived from forty eight months down to thirty six months. So it's um, incentivizing our top performers to stick around, gives them the opportunity for a, a faster promotion to help round out our sergeant ranks that that we have some uh, some gaps in, in the fleet right now. The important part about Suli is that, again, was another idea that came from the fleet. That was uh, a fleet Marine said, hey, this is a good idea, um, ran it through, flushed it out, and then advanced corporal. Advanced corporal in the fleet. That's awesome. Um, and again, that's what a lot of these, a lot of the town management things that we have are they're <clears> grassroots. <throat> so we, we don't have all the good ideas sitting at, at Quantico. Um, a lot of the good ideas come through either the OMB box, town halls that we do, emails, whatever it is, interaction. Um, so that's why we, we constantly uh, hammer for Marines to, to bring up your ideas. Because uh, if, if we don't hear them, then we can't can't explore the uh, whether or not we can actually implement them. Uh, the, the other thing that's been, uh, I, I would consider an overwhelming success is the continued expansion or refinement of the Hurley Reenlistment Authority program. Uh, so this is this was the third year um, since since the inception. First two years were were kind of pilot, um, a, a little uh, a little hesitant to really open the throttle up on it. So we, we kept the the number of Marines that we allowed to reenlist early down to 200 for the first two years that we did it. Um, this year we opened it up and initially said that we want to limit it to 600, but because the the overwhelming support for the program, I think at the end of their early reenlistment period this year there were. 1900 close to 2000 Marines that reenlisted early, um, which is good. It's behavior that we want to encourage because we're getting the Marines that are high performers, that are motivated to reenlist. And when they come and say, hey, I want to reenlist now, in the past, we, it used to be, well, you're going to have to wait another couple months until you're within your reenlistment cohort. And now it allows those Marines to immediately submit a request, get approved for whatever fiscal incentives they, they want, the duty station of their choice. Um, 
So that, that program is going to overwhelming success. Uh, and then just recent, recently released uh, is the second year for the Commandant's Retention Program, the CRP. Um, again, continue refining with the program. First year, there were roughly 2,400 uh, of the top performing first uh, first term Marines that were conditionally approved for reenlistment to where really all they needed to do was have their CEO say, yes, I, the, the Marine is good. There's nothing that came up uh, that you guys aren't seeing from your level. The Marine says, yes, I want to reenlist. And, and that's about it. There's a few signatures. They don't have to go through the entire administratively burdensome uh, process that, that historically they would have to go through. Um, and those Marines are afforded enhanced duty station incentives. So a by unit name, I want to go to this specific unit. Um, first, of, first of the line privileges to their primary MOS monitors to, to coordinate and negotiate all those things. Um, and 2,400 last year, this year there's over 4,000, 4,200-ish first-term Marines that are approved. Um, those requests are coming in right now. The program just kicked off uh, about a, a week and a half ago uh, and goes throughout the month of June. Uh, and hopefully to have the same same success that we have this year and continue to to encourage that behavior to, to get our top performing Marines to want to stay. Um, so those are those are three of the big big newer initiatives that weren't highlighted in the talent management efforts. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just wanted to just double down on the, on the ERA point that, that, that Gunny brought out, right? So like two hundred uh, you know, people are white knuckling the controls right. from for, you know we our our tendency is to want to control from the Marsh Center. The paradigm shift has been like, no, we don't want to do that any more than we need to. We want to push it down, put more agency in the hands of the Marine, more tools in the hands of the commander who knows the Marine, and then smooth the process. And so this, these CRP, ERA are both examples of that. And we'll take it where the, we'll take it where the Marine Corps wants to go with it, right? If it's, if it's getting us the behavior we want, which it is, we were hoping to get 600 ERA this year, and we got 2,000, right? Right. And so somebody came running in at one point and was like, oh my goodness, like we're at 700, like what do we do? And, and, and we just pointed out like, hey, we just made that number up thinking that we wouldn't get more than that. Just back off and let it go. Let it run its course, right? Marines want to reenlist, very high performing Marines coming in. And, you know, we want that behavior. And so we just got out of the way and let it run its course and we'll continue to facilitate it. We have a very high retention goal relative to our retention desires in the past for the next year for FY and reenlistment, right? So high quality Marines, 80% tier one, tier two Marines, have already executed reenlistment for FY24, which closes out over a year from now, right? September 30th of 24. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what we're going for here, right? When Marines want to stay, we want to keep them, and we want to invest, and we want to put them in places that they're going to continue to grow and develop so that we can be more ready to do the combat thing, right? So, and that's exactly where we're going to go. So I don't know exactly where it's going to go. It's going in the direction I want it to go. And we will continue incentivizing it next year. Uh, we're adding in this in this most recent uh, reenlistment bonus moratorium. We've expanded to add a, an early reenlistment kicker to further incentivize behavior and also give that shrinking window of opportunity for Marines to get the enhanced duty station incentive uh, to to the best and most motivated Marines to get in. Right. And thanks, sir. That, that kind of answers what I was always getting at because I realize it's it may not be a question you don't don't have the answer yet because it's. It's still developing. We're trying to incentivize the system to go in the direction that best benefits the Marine Corps and the Marines in the Marine Corps to to do what we want to do. And and I think we're just we're just removing unnecessary obstacles, right? So Gunny talked about the the realm process used to be twenty one step, right? And you would get your little piece of paper and it was scanned in and you would go to dental and get the little stamp for dental, right? 
I don't know when we ever didn't read with somebody because they're dental class. Just make them go to dental, man. Why was that even on there, right? And so we're realizing these things and somebody, people in the fleet are pointing out, hey, this is kind of a hazex and we think it's not conducive to the behavior you want. And when we look around, we're like, yeah, you're right. And we don't have to do that anymore. Or technology now allows us to not do that anymore, right? In 1994, when we went into the scanned realm in the PDF, that was the epitome of cutting edge technology. In 2023, it's just kind of dumb to keep doing that. And so MM has, has stopped doing that. And Master Guns Lodge, his team, the folks down in MMEA are getting out of their own way, getting out of the Marine Corps' way to make it easier just to complete the transaction and to do what the, the Commandant says he wants us to do. Align the talents of the Marine to the needs of the Marine Corps to make us both better. Shadow, I, got I, got excited. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it is exciting like that. Obviously, like you, you took the you took it away and people are just jumping at it. They, they want to do it. They want to stay. Yeah, like, hey, and, and again, back to the force, right? You guys got a good idea out there. Like, let's have it. Right? We're listening. We want to hear. Um, Ma'am or Master Guns, anything to add on top of that for the running updates? Um, I'd like to just address the um, realignment of the staff NCO board because that's coming up on the horizon here uh, shortly. So Mar Admin 453-22 will get in more detail regarding the staff NCO board realignment. But to Colonel Reed's opening comments about the five pillars, pillar three, increasing certainty and predictability is at the heart of this realignment. So it increases uh, advanced notification of PCS it reduces reenlistment processing time, and then it decreases the duration of the staff NCO vacancy billets. So starting in January of 24 is when the active component E7 selection board will convene. And again, there'll be a MAR admin that'll give the specific dates. In April 24, the active component E6 selection board will be held. And then in July of 24, the reserve component staff NCO selection board will be held to put a point on the on the on the goodness here people realized and spoke out that like hey the way we're running our board alignment the way we have been doing it for a while you end up with staff starting getting promoted to gunny and then the units going without that gunny for like seven months until the next board lets out and we start promoting folks back to gunny right so or back to staff starting to fill that that gap right so by realigning the boards it's inconvenient for the marsh center and for folks here in quantico but it's more convenient for the commanders and the marines and the fleet that's exactly the problems I want people created for us, right? Make our problem harder so that the fleet has what it needs to fight and we can we can facilitate that, right? So it was a great example of it's a little more difficult here in Quantico, but but now leadership here in Quantico, General Glenn, ACMAC, everybody at CDNI, TCOM, everybody at MICRIC, we're welcoming inconvenience on the staff level so that the fleet gets what it needs faster. Right. Right. I, I do have yeah, one, uh, one last save round uh, that I, I didn't want to to not bring up the numbers for the the crp and era we're talking about uh, marines in the thousands so the, the numbers are a little overwhelming uh, one number that's kind of small is for our uh, enlisted graduate education program pilot that we're running um, first year that we did it run the pilot and we have six staff ncos that were selected that'll be going off to mps to get graduate level degrees uh, that will have follow-on utilization tours here in the NCR, uh, in the billets right now that are being filled by captains and majors. Um, so that that's a, a great program, great educational opportunity to get some enlisted folks out there, get them graduate level degrees, and then depending on the the outcome of how those utilization tours work out, and then expand it to potentially more more Marines in the future. But 
I'm not, that's a, a project that was kind of in-house uh, driven that I want to make sure we can give that a shout out. Right. And it, for anyone who's potentially interested in that program down the road, is that something released via MAR admin? Yeah, it came, application? It, it came out in January. It came out kind of short notice this year, right? So uh, a, a congressman was putting forth an initiative, Congressman Panetta, who was out where APS is, for an initiative to do this. We were already trying to think about how to do this. And it basically became a hold of my beer situation, and we ran it through in three weeks, ran the board. Here's something interesting. With three weeks' notice, what was it? What was the number? 40, 48, 48 or 49 staff NCOs from around the Marine Corps submitted and got conditional acceptance to NPS by submitting accredited bachelor's degrees, qualifying for NPS at graduate school acceptance. And then from that board, we went it down to a, a, a six, six Marine program, right? It's, it, I think it's, it's got a huge potential. One of the one of the things I'm most excited about, my own, uh, it, within MNRA, one of the own, the, the, the enlisted plan section is all majors and captains who graduate from the same program, but there's no enlisted person on there advising how we're gonna manage the enlisted force, right? Potentially, this is a benefit of having stakeholder action and, and more experience in there to advise how we're gonna manage the force in the future, right? So I think it's, it's got a huge, huge potential opportunity bringing up. Right, and uh, I do want to move on to something else, but um, for anyone who wants to read the details of the talent management update, it's available online. Hang on our website, Google comes right up in a PDF. It's also on the website uh, that's, that's off the Marine Corps website, right? Just type in talent management 2030, you'll, you'll get there and, and we'll, we'll provide more contact details at the end of this week. Right, yeah, yeah. and again, we'll, every, everything will be in the notes for this for anyone who wants to follow on and dig into it uh, more deeply. Okay, so next one, move on to uh, that one of those other events that you mentioned, which was the All Services uh, Talent Management Summit. Um, again, kind of with the All Volunteer Force Summit, I, I would imagine the All Volunteer Force Summit or Symposium, excuse me, kind of probably fed into that since it came first. But uh, what were some details or outcomes from the, um, excuse me, the, the Talent Management Summit that you'd like to highlight? From the, uh, so we had the All Volunteer Force, I mean, excuse me, uh, All Volunteer Force Symposium, um, and, and in there, because of the uh, reception from the, our fellow talent management uh, SMEs from the different services, we recognized we had an opportunity to get together uh, and set up a forum for the All Service Talent Management Symposium because there was just a lot of eagerness to get together and collaborate. So we held that at the Pentagon, we, we brought in all the reps, and we looked for opportunities where we have shared interests. Um, where we could do things like collaborate on legislative uh, proposals that will affect uh, all the services in, in a good way, um, share best practices, or just uh, even just share, we're not even sure what to do with this, have you experienced it? And, and so um, being smart about how we leverage the expertise available in DOD. And it also recognizes that at the end of the day, as, as we talked in the All Volunteer Force Symposium, when we go fighting, the people we're gonna be fighting with, right, are the folks within DOD. So everything that we can do collectively to ensure that we all have the access uh, DOD-wide uh, to the talent we need and, and using the best practices where they apply to all the services or have at least have the many items available to us. So we, we were able to go over uh, the different things that DOD is doing to support the services, like duty status reform for reserve component members, talking about civilian talent management as an initial seat stock for, for discussions that we're going to be holding uh, at a forum uh, later down the road. So just a, a really unique opportunity that just sprung out of the ABF symposium that we held in. And now uh, because of the uh, all long, or because of the Toll Force uh, Talent Management Symposium, the OSD is having a monthly all services talent management symposium 
that uh, they host now for all the services to get together and continue that discussion. So that's been going very well for us. Thank you, sir. Regarding anything else? To I think a couple, of, a couple of highlights of focus from that. I think duty status reform, as mentioned, but really we focused on all, all six of the services in there talking. We focused on what we, what we would term in the Marine Corps as permeability and increasing opportunities for permeability. We think that in the future, over the course of a career's worth of development, we may have more folks, especially in technical MOSs, who may permeate, if you will, back across the reserve component, back to the active component multiple times in the course of a career. And we're laying the groundwork to do that. Congress is helping establish that now. The second, I think, topic that was really interesting in there was um, making sure that we're that, that our civilian Marines, our reserve component, are not afterthoughts to a focus on active component, right? So that we're looking at the entire force and how everybody contributes symbiotically to what we are trying to do as a Marine Corps and that we don't have three redundant personnel systems with three redundant budgets and three redundant sets of policies, but that we're trying to operate together. One thing, so one other important thing we did talk about, um, and again, we want everyone to have the call to service, the irrational call and, and uh, common serve, although we recognize compensation is important. So we also have the opportunity to level set with what the uh, ongoing actions are for the 14th uh, Quadrennial uh, Defense Review of the Military Compensation. That's important. Uh, it's important to the Marine Corps, it's important to all the services, obviously it's important to DOD. Uh, and they had just chartered the, the 14th QRMC, I think a week prior to us meeting. So we had the gentleman that's the head of that so that we could understand how the process is going to work and how we can, as services, support <coughs> the uh, actions that will come later once the initial research that the QRMC does. Uh, and in particular, uh, be looking at opportunities for us to influence um, enlisted military compensation. So again, I know, so you talked about in two weeks, there's going to be another symposium coming up on the blended retirement system. What are some of the uh, some of the things that that symposium is going to be looking at? Yeah, let me just say it quickly because I want to get to as many questions as we got time for. So more and more of our force every day is under the blended retirement retirement system, right? It's the preponderance of our force already. Um, there are opportunities within BRS, especially in addressing the Marine Corps core enlisted management problem of we need more Marines than we ever have in the past. That are that are on that second enlistment, right? Who serve for four, to, you know, years five to eight of a contract and enrich, give us higher return on investment, and thicken our ranks through the target maturation of technical skills, right? We think BRS offers opportunities as a value proposition to those Marines. We also think there may be some implications for mid-career retention coming as all of the force shifts over to BRS in the next five years, and so. We want to we want to evaluate that. So really, we're looking for opportunities, especially for that first half of a twenty year career, and we're looking for potential implications and, and and metrics that we can start assessing for the second half of the career and retention concerns that they may that may arise. Okay, thanks. Anything else? Oh, I mean, it, it's just to make sure that we also uh, can take action, like figure out what's going on now, and make sure that we're taking actions to appropriately influence career behavior, like we're doing with these other actions that we're doing today with the talent management initiatives, uh, to make sure that we don't have a real-world-looking uh, approach to BRS and find that maybe we've lost talent because we weren't utilizing the leverage to the best effect uh, when we could have done it in advance. So uh, that's, that's kind of the point of having that going now because we know the people environment but we know that within this people environment, we have this new system that's going to uh, potentially have uh, good opportunities for us to communicate even further how we need to be to stay. All right, great. Thank you. And, I, and so that talking about those levers and those incentives, I think is a great feed into uh, first question I'll pop up here from the chat, which is looking at 
both from the SULI program as well as uh, that enlisted MPS opportunity to go and get graduate graduate level education. This may be sort of a blurry line between talent management 2030 and training education 2030. I'm going to ask it, and then if it's more relevant to the other one, we'll just we'll move on to the next question. But um, asking whether uh, they've been looking at incentives for CME or CDET enlisted seminar distinguished graduates having similar incentives for high performance or, or, or I, I don't know about payback towards, but just maybe more broader opportunities for doing well in those particular programs in a way to to incentivize that performance. They're mentioning that CDET has several regional campuses that are churning out three three cycles a year for multiple different enlisted grades. And uh, I'm not sure what the numbers are for CDET enlisted, but you know, point is these things being run regular through regularly through each year. You potentially have a you know a pool of distinguished high performers. What what are what are we looking at for them potentially? I, I think so it sounds like that might be a recognition focused question. I'd like to hear more about it. So I, I would ask for whoever put that question on the chat to, to contact us at TMX at USMC.mil. I'd like to flesh out this conversation in more depth. It, it, the other thing I would say is that that CDET honor graduate, that CDET distinguished graduate, that's in, that's part of that range record. There's no distinction between CDET and, and brick and mortar. There's no distinction between like that. That's part mm -hmm. of just who that Marine is. And we want it, that Marine is now a top performer. We want to recognize that in the same way as everybody else. I'm having trouble making a distinction about why that would be a CDET would be unique from any other aspect okay so next question i'll move to the thrust of it is so there are multiple initiatives going sort of calling it micro initiatives yeah uh, but just small smaller programs trying to have a bigger impact overall but the there's probably still you know a challenge for any big institution to change it's it's slow and hard and there's inertia yeah. unless you do something to the underlying systems and processes and asking whether to maybe break through that the data coming from these multiple smaller processes, what's been what's being done with that data to do the analytics that would ex be exploited potentially to have like broader institutional impact or maybe influence those 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 inertia bound systems and processes. Um, I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah. So I think I understand the gist of the question, which is an important thing for us to talk about today. Right. So one of the one of the main inhibitors to us moving faster. Right, I talked about no fast hands in the cockpit, right? In some ways, we're pretty sure that a program is a good idea and we wanna move out on it, but there's a, there's always a, a risk, cost-benefit risk assessment that we make before moving. That's where we're piloting a lot of programs where we don't have really great data. We don't have really great empirical basis for moving out and we need to collect it. There are some things that are just obvious and we're doing it, right? Like the, the ERA was, was one that was like, why wouldn't we do that? It's not that we go ahead and deal right? in context of today's technology. Our data that we have on Marines, which we have a ton of, is currently federated across multiple data systems in different piles of data that don't talk to each other. The big thing that is going on behind the scenes that is not gonna be done for probably another two years, right? And it'll be done incrementally over time, is getting all the people data in the one LACO people data so that we can exploit it with artificial intelligence to go in there and ask interesting questions and see trends and validate and also point out to us things that we don't realize are happening, right? And and that is that is fundamental to where we want to be in the end state of our new talent management system. We're doing everything we can now on the margins and increasingly we're getting into the real meat of the problem in the interim and as incrementally that data, the, 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 you know, the manpower information 
technology systems modernization, right? This whole line of effort, MITSUM as an acronym, of course, that is going in, in procurement wise and RDT&E wise, that is, that is going as fast as we can possibly push it mm -hmm. and as fast as we can push it legally. But the questioner's point is absolutely valid. We're moving out as fast as we can on that meta systemic change. But I mean, if we didn't get here overnight. We didn't get the way we are overnight. We're not gonna get out of it overnight. Right. It's progressively moving that way, procurement wise and RDT&E wise. He's absolutely, he or she is absolutely on spot on with the question. Right, and, and sort of the back half of your answers are, I, I summarized what he said there where he was getting into using things like AI tools yeah. to try and analyze that stuff. So yeah, the problem right now is I, I drop AI into disparate data that can't see all the other data and it gives me a bad answer or a dumb answer, right? So I need to get it all in one place and keep feeding it and then uh, it, it gets smarter over time, right? So as we have proven cases, now it corrects and updates itself based on what it's seeing. So we're convinced that we are gonna have more valid information in the future. I, I would just add that uh, the data you're talking about though are also marine. So the statistics that Gunny talked about when he said, oh, we started with 600 and we capped out at, at 2000 because Marines uh, re-enlisted uh, in higher numbers than we'd expected. Uh, you know, the, the 82 or so odd, Marines that the assistant commandant uh, through the CRP program re-enlisted in front of the Marine Corps Memorial. That's part of the data, but those Marines are out there in the fleet. And so that's, that's you know, we're setting the conditions, but they're going to, they're helping also to make this change because we're not just talking about it. It's not just more admins. We're doing things and we hope with the bow wave, right? We're, we're going to be moving uh, further and faster in the future. Data is important. And so we're going to keep working that, like Colonel Reed said, and Marine Corps is making the investments in being able to do this better. Uh, but the, the, the true proof is continued recognition that performance matters and doing something about it, which is making it easy for the good ones to stay. Got anything then? Yeah, the the initiatives that we that we have rolled out that we have been able to implement as a service um, is making sure that the things that we have the ability to change now that can affect positively on the Marine Corps that we do them rather than sitting and waiting for the everything the, yeah. the AI system to be perfect. We need to do the things now to make changes on the margins uh, to make it make more Marines want to stay, make the institution better. Um, but the, the big stuff's the big stuff's coming. We'll, we'll get there. All right, thank you. All right, we're, we're about approaching 60 minutes here. I have a been here from the chat, and I don't have anything else written down unless Eric, give you anything? Yes, I have one question for yeah. you, sir. Uh, my name is Eric Ross. I'm the DEI. Yeah, absolutely. Expert. So uh, my brain, as you were talking about 2040, one of the things I was thinking about was the talent pool from which we recruit from yeah. showing that the shape of America is changing. Uh, is there any consideration to first off investing in our ROTC uh, programs to, to get into more marginalized schools? Uh, number two, uh, is there any look at this justice impacted uh, talent pool? Because corporate America is already tackling into these things. Corporate America is often saying, Google's a good example. They're going into high school now yep. to start. They're not even asking for pressure. Exactly, but they're they're grooming the kids so that the kids will want to go to Google afterwards. So, uh, and then lastly, um, we have a uh, consistent flow of refugees, individuals coming into our country uh, in a manner that is not traditional. Uh, is there any? You talked a little bit about, man. You talked a little bit about the collaborative. Uh, efforts with legislative pr proposals. Um, is there any talk of, hey, is there a way that we can tap into that talent pool? 2040, those are individuals that could be both the uh, tech side and the hand turners 
just as we did during World War II, World War, yep. World War II uh, and so on and so forth, all we've always tapped into uh, the folks that are looking. So uh, that, that was my big question. I hope Completely back on what you're mowing. I want to, I'm going to hand it off here in just a second to, to uh, Ms. Mangelkin, but on, on Inrasi expansion, let's talk more, right? I mean, that's that's obviously, that's resource intensive and it's right. we're not talking in detail about that, but everything else you mentioned, absolutely we're talking in detail about okay. across DOD, right? Awesome. So the first generation problem, if you will, of people who come to the United States who are a first generation enlistee, there's some political concern, there's some political considerations about that, right? right. That's none of our business as, right. as uniform folks, but there's also the, how do we vet and, and apply, how do we do security clearances in an increasingly security clearance intensive force, right? We're wrestling with all of these things. I don't have an answer, it's just the dialogue is going on, but we recognize that immigration is a big part of demographic change in the future, and that's the demographers that, that come and talk to us have identified that clearly. Awesome. Um, uh, let, me, let me kick it over if you got anything to add. Well, well historically, right, in, in the, the America, we have people that have come to this country and served very honorably yes. in, in the <clears throat> most prestigious battles that we uh, lay claim to in the past. So we certainly do not want to cut ourselves off from the talent that we have today available, as well as the talent that is going to continue to grow, especially in some of these demographics that we're talking about in the future. So like Colonel Reed said, where is it? Can we look at process to multiple pathways to success? So if you're someone that maybe wasn't born here, uh, okay, but you want to serve in our nation, maybe there's going to be some opportunities for us to, when, when possible, um, seek better ways to make it appealing and simplify the process so that it's not a deterrent to, uh, if I want to serve, it's going to, I have to do all these different things. So how, how can we be a collaborative in that process to make it better so we have better access to talent? Um, I think you'll see that uh, you know the future demographics is there's more women uh, and more minorities and more migrants. And the fact of the matter is that that's why we have to look out at that environment and build policies for that environment, not the environment that was 50 years behind us. Um, and bottom line is we need performance, right? So we have people that have a call to serve and we want to have access to you know, pick everyone options. So to your point about the high schools and things like that, where traditionally disadvantaged areas that we didn't have as much activity uh, with. I know Marine Corps is assessing even how we recruit and where we recruit because people are in different places than when we set ourselves up before. So we want to make sure that even if someone doesn't want to join the Marine Corps, they know us, they have access to us, and they can learn about the opportunities and make an informed choice. Not that they didn't realize it and didn't get an opportunity because we weren't uh, outreaching uh, to all the talents out there. Fantastic, thank you so much, I appreciate yeah. it. Great, and uh, my counterpart here just made a note worth noting that uh, the incoming Sergeant Major Rudy. <laughs> I just wrote it down. Oh, yeah. yeah I was going to come back through. It says Sergeant Major Rudy, as, as I understand it, was naturalized, confirmed for me uh, mid-career mid as a gunning, right? And so we just need to we need to be prepared to keep expanding that, right? I promoted one of my one of the Marines that I served to Major the other day, who became a citizen as a Sergeant in the Marine Corps, first generation American, right? So we need to expand that. Absolutely. Same here. So that's why I asked the question. Yes. <laughs> Hey, can, we, right. you want to, can we just wrap up real quick? Yes, yeah, absolutely. I got another question, so go ahead, sir. Matt, Master Guns, you're out there. You want, to, you want to start us off, and then we'll bring it in the room here. Anything to add? Anything to say in closing? No, sir. Uh, the only thing I would add is just, uh, one, thank you again for uh, um, welcoming or having us back, and then TMX at USMC.mil or any ideas or suggestions. Great. Thank you, Master Guns. And then I guess we'll go around the room here. 
Yeah, I, just thanks for having us again. Uh, the, these things are always I, I like getting the questions from the fleet um, and, the, and the listeners out there. Um, and again, we, those are the things that we need so we can continue moving forward on some of these initiatives. Right, thank you. Thank you. Uh, also, thank you for having this forum. Um, I, I do want to make mention, uh, you know, the Marine, we, we have recognized that there is more than one way to have a successful career in the Marine Corps. We want to find ways to uh, increase the Marine Corps' access to talent, and we have found that by providing the service options to utilize its Marines differently uh, and options to Marines to make choices and weigh in and, and, and collaborate in management of their career, it's, it's good all the way around. We're meeting the principles that Colonel Reed talked about. It's like putting the best skilled capabilities against the Marine Corps for fighting requirements. Uh, we're seeing these changes. They're good for the service. We're doing less hard work for no reason and hard work for good reason instead. Uh, and Marines are responding. So appreciate the opportunity to talk over today. I guess close with great. Thanks again. Uh, thanks to the team. Thanks to the questions that came in. Uh, I'll try to, if you've got the identity of the CDAC question, I'll call them every minute or find, that, find the phone number or contact information. Um, Hey, so for me, really three things. One, it, remember, it, it, for us, it's all about enabling Marines, commanders to apply talent to Marine Corps problem set, right? So we want to get more tools in the hands. We want to have more flexibility than we ever had before. Uh, and we just want to, if, if there's a policy that, that you're out there listening right now or that you listen to this later, if you think something doesn't make sense anymore, it may be a policy that was really valid at the time, but it may not be making sense to us for our needs today. You think we ought to pull it down or revise it? Sound off, right? We want to hear from you because if you think it's a bad idea or dumb, it might be, and and, and we'll we'll take a good, hard, honest look at it, or we'll tell you why we can't change it for whatever reason you may not realize, and we'll both be better for it. And again, I'm probably just really reiterating the same thing. If there's a marine out there, if there's a former marine, if there's a civilian marine, if there's somebody who's listening to this podcast or watching this and just interested in the Marine Corps and wants the best for the nation. Who has a good idea we want it any suggestion the best ones we've gotten have just come in from the most random places or phone calls or emails or somebody sending us you know something or we bump into somebody at channel hall yeah, campus you down there uh it's great we're listening we cover your ideas uh and, and suggestions and your feedback and we need them so just make sure if you would when you suggest it that it is conducive with kind of principle number one we're finding performance in the report and the big idea is it going to make us more effective at keeping the right folks talented, trained in the fleet, ready to answer the nation's call. And then we're all about it. And as Metrogun's pointed out, TMX at USMC.mil, we, we hawk that box daily and we will respond and let you know that we're working. We'll get you an answer back to anything you suggest to us. And I'll follow up with the, the, the questioners offline here today. Thanks. All right. Thank you, sir. And I, I got name and uh, phone number to that person. Thanks, so man. they will get that right after we're done here. All right, so uh, it's everyone here on the Talent Management Strategy Group. Thanks for a follow-up episode here so that we can share what you've been up to and what's coming down the road with the fleet because, uh, you know, and I'm, we try and track these things with things like the Early Realistic Authority. Like, that, to me, that's a that's an incredible success story that probably deserves more publicity than it's gotten. And it shows what, you know, again, from a, a randomness portable out of the fleet yeah. that, like, this works and it can have an impact. you just got to share it. So the email will also go out. So we'll make sure that your inbox gets flooded. Uh, to our audience, thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Brewcast. And uh, we are working on um, coming up here in a couple weeks. Not quite ready to promote it yet because uh, I've got to finalize some of the details. But I will just say it's going to be a, a fantastic episode to sort of take you into the summer uh, summer law before we kick back up for the next academic year. So make sure you're following us on our social media or 
on our email distribution list so that you can get that registration information once we have that details. Uh, but yeah, thank you for joining us and um, look forward to having you all back for another episode. Thanks for joining us. As always, we depend on support and feedback from the Team Crewland community to constantly improve our offerings and reach a wider audience. So if you have feedback on this episode, please take a moment to fill out the survey linked in the show notes to help us do better. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button and subscribe to our channel on YouTube or leave us a review on the podcast app of your choice. It truly does help us reach a wider audience. Thank you as always for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected.